What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 19. My name is James Scully. Today, during the month of independence here on The Wall Breakers, a.k.a. July, I sit down with Olga Lysenko and Fernando Sanabria for a conversation about the American dream. Olga and Fernando are both from different countries and now reside here in America. They are married to each other and they are also in business with each other. Olga is an interior designer. Fernando has an engineering background and now does real estate. And they partnered up once they were already married and decided that this would be the best course of action for them in order to ensure their creative freedom and their financial future. But the real question is, does the American dream still exist? Did the American dream ever exist at all? If it does, what exactly is the American dream for you and I here in 2015? To me, this is a very important discussion, and this interview is powerful. You'll notice by the timestamp, it's the longest interview recording that we have yet released in the 19 episodes of The Wall Breakers, and that's because the amount of information that we put forth and the amount of emotion in that information is so strong that I had to let it run long. There was no point where I felt like I could cut this and make it a two-parter, and there was nothing in this that was fat that needed to be trimmed away. This is a strong, important conversation by two people who have seen a lot of hardship in their life prior to coming to America and how they now react to what's going on around us now. Because as Fernando put it, this financial climate that we're living in has absolutely no mercy. It's especially so if you're living in a city like New York where the pace is so go, go, go that if you stop, you might get trampled in some way, shape, or form. As I always say before all these episodes begin, you can get these podcasts by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. You can subscribe on iTunes by searching for The Wall Breakers. And once you do either of these things, when we release podcasts, which are normally on the first of the month and the 15th of the month, you can either have them show up in your feed on SoundCloud or download directly to your device through iTunes. I'm going to keep this intro short because this is such a jam-packed conversation that I want to get right into it. But I do quickly want to say that sometimes I think as I'm recording these things or as I'm writing on the wall breakers, to an outside eye, I might be taking the opinion that if you're not blazing trails in front of you, you're doing something wrong or something like that. That's not the case. It's important to me in this month, independence as the topic and revolution as the other topic, to note that independence means independence from fear, from want, from insecurity, from anxiety. Not independence from your parents or from you or I. That's not what we're searching for in life. We all want inner peace. We all want to feel like we're somebody who matters. And I want you to know that you do matter. I matter. We all matter. And when we all realize that, it makes for a happier world. Sometimes I ride the train home and I look around at people. I think, look at all these people trying to avoid making eye contact with everybody. Just hoping to get through this ride to get to wherever they need to go so that they can feel like who they truly are, away from the crowd. We should feel like who we are at all times, regardless of the crowd. Because if we can do that, then this world will be a much more relaxed and happy place. Now, once again, I don't want to give the impression, and neither will Olga and Fernando, that you're unhappy, that I'm unhappy. I'm just making note of certain things that I see that go on in large groups of people in a city like New York. So, keep it right here, because after this short pause, I'm coming back with Olga Lysenko and Fernando Sanabria. 
for their thoughts on the American dream, on tips on how to start a business and how to maintain a business and how to have a partnership with family members and other people you care about. Stay tuned after this pause. Welcome back to Breaking Walls on today's edition. I'm sitting down with Olga Lysenko and Fernando Sinabria. I happen to be introducing them with different last names, but Olga and Fernando are married, and they run an interior design business together named Yellow Trace Inc. A few episodes ago, I sat down with Eric Scott for his thoughts and tips on running a business. Eric has run two businesses in his life, but part of the reason why I wanted to sit with Olga was because Olga and I know each other from college, and we both graduated college in 2008. So our entire career has been since the economic downturn of late 2008. What is that like for somebody to start and run a business in that landscape if they've never really known anything other than that? So I want to welcome you guys to the podcast. Hi, James. How are you? Good. Hello, James. How are you? Thank you. And now, Fernando has had experience running businesses before, which is a humongous strength when it comes to you guys running a business together. Of course. When I wanted to do this interview, I wasn't quite sure of the exact direction to take it in. But I think it's very important to discuss your partnership as both business partners and also your partnership as a married couple and how those things relate to each other. Because they do, obviously, relate to each other humongously. But how did you guys meet each other? Um, we actually had the same circle of friends for quite some time. Uh, but it seems that whenever I was present, Fernando would be off doing something else. And when he was being social, I would be off doing something else. So we didn't quite cross paths until about six years into having the same circle of friends. Interesting. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you met? Oh, he gave me a cheese cracker, and that was it, really. She walked through the door, and the first thing I said to her, at that time I couldn't say yes, honey, because I just met the woman, and she would have run right back out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I did notice something very different about this person who was walking through the door. She was very secure, knew what she wanted, and I saw that on her. Maybe it was me on the cheese sitting on the table in front of us. I couldn't really figure out if yeah. it was dark. Either way, um, we, we had a really wonderful conversation and one thing lead to another. And today, um, we are married. Right. And uh, looking forward to the next step. Like you said earlier, uh, we started a business together. As we got to know each other, we found out that we have more, more things in common than we thought. Sure. Mm -hmm. And the most logical thing was to put our forces together. I, I feel that my business is my marriage and what we do for a living, it's in a way my hobby because it makes me happy. Okay. And it com first comes respect to her mm -hmm. as my wife, as an individual, as a wonderful, strong woman as I described earlier, following by trying to do the best we can in a financial world that has no mercy. Absolutely. Whoa. But you can rely on each other. Correct. And you do have overlapping skills. Those of you that don't know, Olga is an interior designer, and Fernando, you work in real estate. 
So uh, real estate uh, became a, a chill throughout my life. My education goes back to Boston, where I studied engineering. I had several different goals and what I wanted to uh, aim at engineering too. Uh, when I came to New York uh, in very early 2000, other options presented itself and soon enough I found real estate to be a great way to bring secure income and uh, I've been using it to carry me on. It's been a retirement plan <laughs> that I've worked on for a long time. You know, okay. Which works out quite well because I wouldn't really say that they're overlapping skills, they're complementary skills. That's a better way to put they it, They are yes. skills that I do not possess. Sure. You know, I am pretty safe in saying that I enjoy and I'm good at project management. So I happen to like minutia. I happen to like lists of things to do and making sure people and things do things that I need them to do in a timely fashion. Whereas Fernando really has the salesmanship. Fernando has the years of experience with construction, product design, and dealing with the shark-infested waters of entrepreneurship that I just don't possess. Mm -hmm. Whereas Fernando doesn't have the understanding of project management, perhaps, that I do because I've been doing it longer. Okay. So he is very good strategically. Okay. He's a long-term strategic analyst, whereas I am short-term, immediate management, step-by-step -step process management. I believe very strongly that there are two kinds of people in this world, specialists and generalists. And a generalist can see the big picture. He's definitely a generalist. And then the specialist can get in there with the scalpel and do the things that a generalist could say, I think you should do it this way, but can't do it that way him or herself. And sometimes I think maybe people would automatically assume, okay, if I'm a specialist, then there's no room in this world for generalists and vice versa. But actually, they're not meant to be against each other. They're supposed to be complementary to each other because one washes the other one's back. Well, very few people really understand that. That's what I've found through being in the workforce. I mean, we graduated together and... May of 2008. Right. June, the market started leaking. By the end of August... The company I was working with furloughed all of its full-time staff without pay and had separate ties with all of its interns. Okay. Because their projects dried out. Sure. And that went on for a good year and a half. Right. I think it people... It's terrifying. I mean, just, I don't think there's a, another word for that. And if you can't see the big picture, I mean, obviously, I wasn't able to see the big picture then. It was my first... Yeah, how could you know? Right. You didn't have exactly. the experience. Exactly. I think maybe it's 2000, it's obviously 2015 right now, and the economic outlook, whatever it is in the future, at this exact moment, it is certainly better than it was January 1st, 2009. Oh, hell yes. I think people maybe have forgotten just how bad it was in late 2008, probably through the entire calendar year of 2009 and into 2010. If you got lucky enough to get a job, yeah, you were I okay. I'm not going to speak about myself, but I know that people have were fighting and clawing just to stay above water, especially in a city like New York, where even as much opportunity as there is... Well, there's also a lot of competition. And companies that normally wouldn't touch smaller-end projects were basically competing for the business. It was, it was crazy. It was. It was definitely a time of panic. 
Right, but on the, you know at, at the same time, coming back to coming back to you know how that affects people. Coming from the post collapse of Soviet Union. Right, and really, so people should know that. Oh, yes, you that, are that's probably important. You are Ukrainian. I am. And you came to America when you were ten. Yes. So although you don't really have a lot of memories of while the Soviet Union was still running, your whole experience as a child was post Soviet Union. Right. The collapse, yes. essentially, and and so that experience wasn't that much different from the financial collapse. I mean, ideologically, yes, whatever those ideologies may be, but the leftover feeling of panic that you just described, the feeling of impending doom, and I felt that during the financial crisis in two thousand eight in New York City. Okay. So that feeling, it was it was basically one for one. Right. I wouldn't say that I'm uniquely adjusted to that feeling because that would be a horrible thing to say. You had just seen it before. I've seen it before. And now, Fernando, growing up in Venezuela, you've lived through well, revolution. I, I, I was born in Venezuela, like you mentioned, um, on the late 70s. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing in that country, it was uh, very wonderful. Uh, I have to say that. Although you learn really fast that the politics of the country is what mandates the future of the people. Okay. Okay? Not the other way around. That's what most people hope. Right. Right. So, it was uh, really hard. Um, you, you were, in a way, forced to participate in the development of the, this um, political animal that, as, as a child, I couldn't quite understand. But that was the nature of, of the country growing up. Then I was uh, fortunate enough to um, apply for an exchange program with the Rotary International Club. Okay. I came to America. What, it's quite interesting. One of the main rules they have is that you were supposed to go back to the country you are from to bring those uh, experience that you learned. Uh, to make the country better. To, yeah, to, to share with the people the on your country. Sure, that makes sense. So, at that time, things were changing a lot more in the country, in Venezuela. Uh, I tried to go back. The country was not very welcome. And they, they would not take my grades. They literally wanted me to redo two years of the education. Why? They were not taking international grades. Out of spite. Okay. Well, that was the politics back then. Uh, so, what I had to do, I decided to go back. Uh, to America and uh, finish up high school here in America, which was a great opportunity. America always has been a very welcoming uh, situation for me. And uh, soon after that, like I mentioned earlier, I was able to apply to college. Do I want to go back to Venezuela? And the answer is many, many times, yes. Uh, I love Venezuela as much as I love America. I have dedicated half of my life to each country. Sure. However, uh, Venezuela today does not provide for any kind of ways to grow and improve my financial needs for my future. So that's been one of the reasons why I have to become what I am today, because I had no choice. Either adapt, survive, or what am I going to go back? Right. Perish. Right. And I think maybe sometimes that's something that people, when you're afraid, you think, maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe things will turn. 
but we don't realize oftentimes that we have to make our own bones in life. You know, we, I can't wait for you to give me an opportunity. I have to go get that opportunity. And it's the old, don't tell me, show me kind of thing. It takes a while to realize, too. It does. And I think that brings me back to you, Olga, because while we graduated college at 21 in 2008, and not everyone finishes college at 21, right. and not, you know, everybody is different, obviously. Swimming in the kind of economic landscape that we've had to swim in. In the soup. In the soup. At the same time, these are things that we're talking about right now that you don't understand necessarily until you're doing it and you're getting older. And I think that you probably, Fernando, would think that not being able to go back to Venezuela when you were almost done with high school turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it led your life down paths that you didn't know at the time it could go down and... Who knows what would have happened, but you are who you are now when you decide to run a business for yourself. Do you think that it's helpful to have grown up with difficulties? Yes, I've seen worse. So running a business, the insecurity, the instability, financial concerns, they worry me, but I've seen worse. Why are you running a business today? Because I want to be a better boss than I've had. Okay. I disagree with a lot of things that happen when companies get past the startup stage, especially mm -hmm. in the design industries. I disagree with the lack of business education that is provided for in design schools. And I really feel very strongly that it's not a situation of the poets against the suits. I feel that the suits have to be the poets. And actually, a large point of the inspiration for me to go to business school was an interview that I read. It was Marcel Wanders in Fast Company, mm -hmm. in one of the Masters of Design editions. I still have it at home, actually. It was an interview basically discussing his understanding of what a design business is. You know, and I think that's the first time that I've actually heard someone or read someone be able to verbalize this opposing dynamic between how the creative doesn't really understand the business guys and the business guys don't understand creative. And if you're going to be a successful entrepreneur, you are going to need to ask for funding at some point. You are going to need to pitch to investors. And in order to do that successfully, you're going to need to show them numbers. You're going to need to show them projections projections. You need to at least understand what a business plan is or, or at the worst case scenario, a feasibility study. You need to be able to speak that language if you're serious about succeeding. So basically you just said that although you appreciate the minutia of lists and the scalpel that you can take to a project. I got taught that at Pratt. So Which did you get taught at Pratt? Project management, the okay. approach to the deconstructivist approach to process management, mm -hmm. uh, which can easily be applied to other disciplines. So for that, I'm very, very grateful to Pratt. Now, I want to get a little bit more specific yeah. because that, to somebody who doesn't understand that, I understand it because I went because to the same went college as you did. Right. And for those that don't know, we can also we can start by saying that at Pratt, unless you're a architecture major or a fashion major, you go into freshman year lumped together, no matter mm -hmm. what major you are, because you don't actually choose a major until your sophomore year. Right. So you take this foundation course, which at the time in 2004 consisted of 
studio drawing classes for six hours a day, mm -hmm. studio three-dimensional design, light color design, which is the ability to see you know, shapes discern. and colors and discern what you're looking at from a compositional point of view, but also from a color point of view. Also, you take computer animation. classes, animation. Right. You're given this breadth of hard-pushed courses that weed out who wants to be there and who doesn't, who can handle the amount of work before you ever get into a major. And then they teach you how to think. Right. Uh, but for somebody who didn't do that, I just wanted to give that overview really quickly so that somebody can get it to know where you're coming from. Where does the inception of your love of art come from? You love interior design now. You loved interior design, I'm assuming, 10 years ago. Otherwise, you wouldn't have chosen that as a major. Olga at three liked to draw. Okay. Three-year-old Olga drew every day for hours. So it's just a natural inclination for you. I think in images. I have always thought in Lumiere Brothers films. Okay. Slow-moving still images. That is my thought process. Why so. interior design? I actually got accepted to Pratt for illustration. The experience with actually the three-dimensional design course in foundation year, that's really what made me understand that I can do art in three dimensions. And interior design had a particular level of respectability that the part of my nature that likes safe things gravitated towards. So it was a very comfortable balance between the promise of an art career and the promise of a fairly stable paycheck. Okay. At the worst end of right. that. Right. If I had to be in an office, at least I would be in an office doing creative artistic things that I would enjoy. In so theory. That is what, what 10 years ago Olga thought. Sure, and that's partly why I became a graphic design major as well. Right. So you're married for three years, you've known each other for five. How long are you in business together, officially? Officially? In the afternoon, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's the unofficial thing. That's unofficial. Sometimes um, it's like that, though. You know, you well, meet somebody. Officially, about about a year. You know, because before that, you were doing it solo. We were doing it. We were doing it solo as a. Um, one of the things you mentioned about the you know, interior design that actually, for me, coming from the mechanical thinking and the engineer thinking, it's been really hard to actually visualize what a good environment and colors can do to your everyday living. That is something that to me it was it wasn't there. It's another dimension I couldn't quite see, but it was right there in front of my eyes every day. I'm a person who is up for details. Uh, details are I looked at details. That's what I love in life. And she opened a complete new spectrum through what real interior designs, which you could actually maybe describe it better. Well, they're, they're built environments. I mean, at the very least end of it, it's a decorational exercise to show off and one-up your neighbor. You know, at the other end of that, it's a completely psychological experience on a three-dimensional level. A good environment, a properly planned environment, can either increase your utility and success as a person or you know decrease it spatial relationships are incredibly crucial to your psychological well-being or lack thereof right which is why detention centers are meant to be uncomfortable you you know meditation retreats and spas have open infinite views why office spaces have the perception of legroom and space 
and why elevators have mirrors. I mean, that's just a very basic exercise in the influence of space on the human mind. You just taught me something. What you said is true. First of all, if you're going to have a space, you have to have stuff in it. That's the most basic thing. You right. need things. You know, some of them are utilities that you can't get away without, like a bed or, you know, a mattress yeah. or something to sleep on. Some of them are more decorative and more for showing off. People don't like to feel trapped. Correct. You care about the direction of this world because you said, I want to be a better boss than what I have had in my life. Absolutely. You're also an interior designer. So you care about the spatial relationship between things with each other in a room, between the room itself, between you within a room. You care about what that does to people when they walk into a room, what the psychological effect is on them. You know, like a, like the, the old a cluttered room equals a cluttered mind. That's a, well, that's a fairly generic statement there, but it does have truth in it. We said earlier that you basically found yourself in a position where you had to be in business for yourself because you were not getting the satisfaction that you wanted from your jobs. It didn't feel like a social contract, I guess, in the Rousseau sense of the world, word, you know? Like, it didn't feel that it was a two-sided contract. Okay. I mean, work for pay, that's yes. That is the bare bones, I guess, of a, of a, Absolutely. Of a contractual relationship. Or yes. a payment, you know, whether monetary or otherwise. But it's, to me personally, it is important that my work contributes to the group with which I'm doing work. So the recognition, not, not fame, but the recognition of my contribution to the whole is important to me. Mm -hmm. And I was not getting that recognition. Sure. Just pure and simple. It was something that wasn't there. Now I want to make it a point to say that there are people out there with jobs. They like their jobs. They go to work every day. They're happy. We don't want to make it sound as if everybody is unhappy in this economic climate at their job. No, that's I'm, just not true. I'm speaking from a personal experience. Absolutely. So. And I'm not and I don't make it seem like that's what you're saying. But I want you to describe for me the emotion behind what you were feeling in the moments leading up to the decision to run your own business and what you felt afterwards. It's a switch in your brain that you have to turn on or off where suddenly you are going to make the decision that you're no longer going to rely on someone else to dictate the amount of happiness based around finances and other things in your life. And you're going to take this bull by the horns and ride that lion and figure out how to not get eaten by the lion. Describe for me the emotional feeling behind your own thinking when you realize, I have to start my own business. It just it reaches a point when you are so dissatisfied with what you are doing and your situation while doing it that something has to give. And the choice for me was to either find a different company to work with. You know, and that, that, that was sort of the start end of, the, uh, of, of the thought. But as I, as I was thinking about it more and more, I realized that I would be just basically putting myself in the same situation with different... Yeah, it would just be know, different people, it would be the but it's the same play, story. But, right, it would be the same play, but different different staging. It would be the same characters. It would be the same, you know, script, essentially. And I didn't really want the extra stress of having to deal with a new environment while I was doing that. Which is funny that you just said you didn't want the extra stress of having another job that it's you weren't stress. happy with. It's and it stress. is. And people working order. Every office has at least... It's like a monkey cage. Every office has a social hierarchy, and you walk in there, and you have to claw your way to the top, and it takes about three months. 
Yeah, for you to learn the lay of the land and get into it. And then what happens if you don't like what you're doing? You Correct. have to start over again. Correct. It's a very large emotional investment. And quite honestly, I was performing tasks way above my training level. Okay. So I basically got thrown into the shark pit and had to figure out how to swim and not get eaten. And by the shark pit, I mean the task shark pit, you know, right. because a, a junior designer that you hire isn't going to have the skills necessary to communicate with the clients and to put together purchase orders for stuff and do presentations and also track things and make budgets for your project. It's just unrealistic. But, but that, that is, you know, those are some of the things that were expected from me. But so now your upbringing in the Ukraine, dealing with post-USSR life, right. and then your immediate post-college 2008 economic world where you did have a job, but you're working so damn hard. Right. Both of these things prepared you incredibly well for the stress that would come with running a business, regardless of if you had met Fernando or not. And you would have been equipped for it anyway, but you have someone who balances you properly. And I think maybe, although you guys are married, so there's a, a, an intimacy there that comes with, hopefully, you know, a good marriage, the balance too. Even if you were just platonic business partners, you would still have to be able to balance each other. There would be a different kind of intimacy there. But, but you still, still need intimacy. You still need that same trust. It's, right. uh, it's largely like a platonic marriage if you have a good partnership. Right. And although used to be. you guys are trusting in each other's livelihoods because it's tied on so many levels to each other, I think it's important. Which doesn't necessarily make it easier. No, not necessarily. That's true. But I want to state that I think that's important for people to realize that although you guys are married, a lot of what you've just said and what we will say applies to if although you and I started a business together right. as friends, you know. If you're born into a family, you have your brothers, you have your sister, you have your parents. That's the way it is. You can very well have a business with your parents as well. You can have it with your brother or your friend down the street. I think trust is important regardless of the relationship. I think part of it is trust. Now, what could create a little bit of an issue back to our conversation is it's more at stake. Uh, if our business doesn't go the way we expect, There's we no might have differences and at the end of the day we're still married. So that might, most people, some people could say it might create misunderstanding in our marriage. But any, any discussion can create misunderstanding in people's marriage. What you have to do is uh, see, be, see beyond that. And in the case of our case, we, we're married. So it's, it's a long-term game here. Eventually, we're aiming for the same goal. So it might facilitate, at the same time, it might create fear on terms of one of the partners being scared to suggest something because she's my wife or so. Locally, we have a relationship that we both feel very equal, often express our, our feelings about decisions or... We also um, happen to be A-type personalities, the both of us, and so it works, I feel like... It works well. One, one of the things that actually brought me to agree with Olga in terms of having a business together, because obviously it was a, we agreed to do that. Our marriage came first. It was the, the admiration I had in terms of the way she saw thinking and creativity versus pay. Okay, great point. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to say something right there. Don't start a business if it's about the money. If it's just about the money, where's the passion? You're saying she sold on creativity 
You have to. As a, as a design business, you have to. That's the only card you have. As any business, you have to. I know we're speaking generally more towards the creative people, but if there's no passion, there's no business there. Same thing with a marriage. If there's no passion, there's no marriage. We're, we're very specific of what we're doing in this business. There's tons of creativity. We have here, what I can say, you know, talking about myself, two very intelligent people uh, that have been exposed to tremendous amount of uh, experience international, internationally and nationally. All that coming from Ukraine, coming from Venezuela, have the opportunity to travel through many countries. And we can put our experience, our thinking process together with one goal, one goal only. It's to bring a growth to our future, whether it's, not, whether it's going to be in our marriage or in a company, so be it. It's the same goal, it's our future in front of us, and nobody's going to do it for us. We have to do it. Yes, there are wonderful people out there that are willing to help. The help is always welcome, but at the end of the day, this is for us. I mean, no one is going to set up my life for me. And that could mean whether or not you're running a business, or, or you're not. Or Whether or not you've been thinking about running a business, or you're not. Or you're running a marriage. Or you're running anything in life. Well, we have, you have to take ownership of everything. And it's a very difficult and scary thing to realize because there's two steps to it. Once, you have to come to that realization. Two, you have to now live with that realization. And that's, I think, the harder part. Because once you realize that you are responsible for your life, that you are your safety net, whether mm -hmm. you're running a business or not, that is terrifying. That feels like swimming and the bottom of the boat just sprung a leak and now you're treading water because all of a sudden the safety net that you've been cocooned in all your life that, you know, you are a child and everything is ahead of you, it's not. It's, it's just passing you by. You have to be able to take an active role in your life. And another factor is security. You are your own boss which is the hardest boss can have, someone can have. It's on top of you 24-7. Locally, we had similar goals. You know, we're both in the industry of drafting, real estate. They're all industries that cross over mm -hmm. renovation, yes. product design, making your life better. I'm all for green. I'm all for like growing green roofs and uh, like we were talking about before, bees. Uh, and growing your own vegetables and so on. But you have to be down to earth. Right. We're not going to have time for all that. But that is a stress relief and an experience. Again, you put yourself in an experience. Yes, you can do it in New York. You're growing something, whether it's going to be a company, whether it's going to be a marriage, whether it's going to be your life, it's the same process. No, you put a little bit every day and you hope for the best. And you just keep surrounding yourself with good people and offering the best to other people. That's yeah. all you can do. That's another thing that I realized uh, at Pratt actually towards my senior year is humans build systems and they give different names to these systems. But the, the method of deconstruction, for instance, that Pratt has taught us to approach creative processes mm -hmm. and really analyze things. Okay. Yeah, that's the same process that you go through when you're writing a business plan. Sure. That was then later taught to me with different, mind you, different lexicon, different words. Same tenets. Same ideas. Yep. 
you know, they talk about design thinking, applying design thinking, which is basically the, the Pratt's deconstruction process to business thinking. And that's supposed to be like the end all be all for creative, innovative organizations. And that's how you're supposed to solve all these problems. But they've already had that. So we got to do something new. I feel, I feel like the design thinking methodology and the, the wording is different, but that's the same thing as economic theory. It's the same thing as setting up a, a budget for your project. It's the same thing as financial analytics. Because you're taking something incredibly complicated at first glance, you're breaking it down into manageable parts, and then you chew it down. It's like feeding your kid. Right. Well, that's also any way that you would start a business. If you look at the business as a whole and say, how am I going to do this? It'll never get done. But if you do a little out every day, you put a little bit into it, and you think about it. I mean, and we're talking specifically about running a business. But this goes into any aspect of your life. You manage it well, as much as you can at one time. I'm sorry, business is a project? Is that what you said? Yeah. That's, that's a great way to look at a business. I think maybe people are generally fearful of taking that plunge because it's the unknown. Unknown is scary. That's why it's unknown. Right. Now, you would both agree, if you're going to start a business, you're going to have to be vulnerable. There's no way around it. In fact, if you're going to do anything in life that's substantial, there's elements of vulnerability that you're going to have to deal with. And that is also terrifying. How did you personally get past the fear? Well, oh, I'm still terrified. Okay, but I what, but what keeps you fear. what keeps you moving? I want what I want more than I'm afraid. Great answer. Basically, uh, I'm still terrified. I have had this business for you know over three years now that I've actually been putting a lot of effort into bringing clients and everything, and I'm terrified every day. We were talking earlier, and I mentioned I wake up at night with anxiety, about having anxiety tomorrow morning when I wake up and start doing stuff. <laughs> okay. It's, that's crazy. <laughs> but that's you potentially know? So, also maybe but that's your a good personality. Thing. That, 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 no, definitely, I'm high strong, but the, the anxiety doesn't have to be bad, because if you're feeling anxiety, that means there's change, and change is good. Anxiety without action is bad. If you just sit in the anxiety and don't right. do anything about it. Right. Okay. That's part we, of vulnerability. We, absolutely. Now, the three of us have sit here and we've spoken a lot about reasons behind starting a business, philosophical approach to life, the way that you guys interact with each other and how you approach the things that you do and how there are obviously similarities, otherwise you guys wouldn't be married to each other. You have a business. How do you approach going after clients? That is a hotly contested debate in our boardroom meetings. Okay. I think that eventually we'll see a turnaround of clients coming to us. I agree with that. We are a really good team and we have something beyond what you can get every day to offer to people. That is better style of life, better... Your mom used to say, honey, clean up your room. Whatever is around your room is going to be in your head. And that will never change. So that's the idea. As you clean up your environment, your life will just put back together a little bit at a time. Whether it's with better technology, whether it's with better recycling systems around, whether it's with green roofing and bees in your... The point is, the better you make your life, the better your future will become. And this is exactly what we offer. I agree with what you just said, because that's something that I try to live my life by. I think that if you cut out all the things in your life that are clutter, 
that don't need to be there but exist because you haven't thrown them out yet. You throw them out. What you have left is everything that you truly need. Correct. And what you truly need is always a lot less than what you think you might need. And also then, when you have only things in your life that are making your life better because you enjoy them, because they make you happy, you can build on that. It, it provides a, f a solid foundation. And that is exactly what I have learned through interior design. I am not a, an interior designer, I'm an engineer. I consider myself an engineer and an entrepreneur. All that is the interior design. And when I talk to customers, I tell them, this is how much I can offer you. I can make you, I can make something fly out of thin air. Sort of like a magician, because that's what engineers are. They're perfect magicians and we offer really good things. But that's where the magic stops. It comes to reality. And people like Olga make it happen. Brings it to a tangible level that your life will change. Okay. So now if two people want to get into business and they don't have the same exact skills that you have, I think it's important for them to know that be in business with people that you get along with, that have similar interests to you, and that have skills that can complement yours. Also, the two of you are talking very strongly about your passions in life, because everybody has passions. Everybody's passions are different, but we all have something inside of us that, if we follow it, will make us happier because it's who we truly are, like deep down. Following who you truly are will financially bear fruit for you because it's doing something that you're naturally inclined to do and you're going to have eventually more confidence at because it'll just fit like that glove. I think the most important thing for any kind of business undertaking or any undertaking in general is to know what you don't know. You need to have a realistic assertion of your own capabilities and you need to have a very clear-cut list of all the things that you or your management skills or resources that you are lacking. Okay. And then you need to go and you need to find someone with those resources. Okay. So That's what you're saying, you absolutely write things down. However you remember those features. If you need to write them down, if you need to draw a mind map, if you need to input it into your calendar, whatever, whatever thinking process works for you. But it is, I can't stress this enough, it is crucial that you understand what it is you don't have. Because entrepreneurs, by definition, were overzealous and we're overly optimistic so when you're making your you know basic research for starting some sort of venture or getting into some sort of shenanigans with a friend that might turn into a company you take everything that you think you take the pessimistic approach you cut it in half and that is approaching the reality of the situation i think that might sound a little more dire. It's not, no, no, it's not dire because we overestimate how easy and how comfortable things will be by that much. Okay. It's, it's been statistically proven. So, so you're also talking about being incredibly patient at the same time. You need to be patient and you need to be prepared. You need to overestimate the potential for failure because if your business doesn't go necessarily 100% the way that you expect it to go the first few months, you will be much more comfortable and much more prepared if, you know, if, for instance, you're deciding to cut all ties to the corporate world and I'm going to take my savings and start a business. Okay. Because in those situations, if, you, if, if you're basically going cold turkey and deciding to launch an entrepreneurial venture, budgeting is important. Absolutely. Because you are then in a situation where you have very limited resources. Okay. 
that is a very different way to start a business than let's say you're working at KPMG or Deloitte and you have a side project on the side because chances are what you're making at KPMG and Deloitte is over 75000 a year, which is the happiness threshold apparently in the American economy. Except for the people who live in New York. But that's Except for the people who live in New York, <laughs> which joking. is we're all cranky anyway, so really. <laughs> but okay, so the umbrella what you just said. First of all, find your passion. And secondly, Take, be pessimistic about it. Do your research. It helps to be, you're talking about being prepared. Yeah. You can only, now, granted, you can only prepare so much, and then no matter how much you prepare, things that you're not right. expecting are going to happen, that's life in any kind of situation. Right. But, but if you prepare, you'll be more likely to be cushioned when those unexpected things happen. And more confident yeah. that you know what you're doing. Yeah. Now, you also said, figure out everything that you do have, skill-wise, mm -hmm. ability-wise, figure out everything that... You don't have. And you have to be really honest with yourself about that. Absolutely. Without that, you can't get the other person who then has those skills. Right. You know, for instance, I do not have a broker's license in the state of New York. Fernando happens to have one. Okay. I don't have engineering and product design experience to that level. Fernando does. But we're also talking a lot about looking in the mirror, really looking at yourself and being honest with yourself to get ahead in life. I feel well, like the, the point precisely, you need to know. Know what? Know that when you're about to engage into, it's something you believe on. You have to believe in what you're doing. I think the hardest thing for a person who is about to enter a venture is to believe, based on what Olga was saying, similar word, is to believe what you're about to do. Whether you're going to sell a product, whether you're going to sell a thought, or you're actually going to offer a, a physical job. So unless you believe that it's needed, if you need it, somebody else is going to need it. And eventually it's going to take off from there. The moment you doubt yourself, I'm not sure this is going to happen. I'm better off staying on my 9 to 5 because I know I'm going to bring the required income to leave. Mm -hmm. You know the truth is, stay in your 9 to 5. Be the best you can be to your company and your boss. You're doing the right thing. There's eventually, eventually, if no, it's ideal. It's secure. You don't have to worry about other things. You don't have the stress that you have to go get customers and so on. And you can put savings away. And you can still do these ventures in the side right. as, as a hobby. Like I said before, my marriage is my business. My jobs, it's my hobby. Because you have to adapt. You have to change it. You, it goes with you. Every step will be different. The world is changing every day. The internet came about in the middle of me doing wonderful in real estate back in uh, 2002. What was that? Some, some website that landlords can list their own apartments? Craigslist. Oh, should I? <laughs> but, How dare they? But I'm telling you, it was awesome and I loved it. I put ads in there left and right until one day they come turn around and say, if you're a broker, you're going to pay 10 bucks. I was like, oh, my entire world ended. How am I going to do this? So, again, you adapt to the new options ahead. And you have to adapt quick. So, keep your 9 to 5 and come up with good ideas, things that might work. Well, and when you're ready, when you're ready that you feel that you have built enough understanding of how to run a business, try it out. You won't go wrong because you believe in yourself. Yeah, I mean, and like I was mentioning, that's the, uh, that is the other way to start a business. You don't need to quit your job cold turkey to start that punk rock hair salon that you've always dreamed about since 
you know, you saw Iggy Pop in concert. You can work in your nine to five as long as you know what your limitations are. Let's say you have the financial resources to launch something, but you don't have the time to manage it because you're working in your whatever job that you have. Mm -hmm. Fine. Do you have the resources to hire someone? Do you have the resources to take on a partner who does have the time but no money? So you start kind of playing around with who and what is able to be useful to the venture and in what capacity. Right. And, and you start seeing, you know, the dynamic between kind of the trade, the barter economics of joint ventures. You know, whether, for instance, do your parents want to lend you some money? And saying something on that, that is the roof of the venture. That's when you know. You need relationships, you need trust. No, well, yeah, the relationship trust, but I'm talking about the financial end. When you start seeing those numbers, it's what you hit the roof. You gotta eat. You gotta put food in your table. You, you, you have to put a roof over your head. And if you don't have those numbers to keep you afloat, your venture, your being your own business boss, it's not gonna happen. So that's what it comes down to when you're ready for it to become independent. That's why you I have to have a very good perspective that you know that wind is coming and it's pushing that boat forward. If you start your own business or you want to start your own business and you are worried that you won't have wind or in this case uh, about profit margin, you don't have profit margin, in your opinion, how long do you give yourself? How deep are like your pockets? Like, I'm sorry? How deep are your pockets? I, I okay. have a different point of, uh, about the pockets. It's not about how deep it's, your pockets it are. Is, it is it's about how much heat can you take. It's, which is the, the okay. different way of saying that. I mean, no. how much do you need to draw a salary from this business for the first two years or do you have savings? Okay, and that goes back to the, the statement about being patient. You, the, the, and, yeah. and trusting yourself and being clear-headed and preparing for the worst so that you know what's going on. And, you can't be naive. And you need to have goals because saying, I am going to launch a design business, let's say, because that's the industry I'm familiar with. It's pretty cutthroat. And saying, I am going to launch a design business and, okay, great. What, what goal do you want to achieve within the first year? Okay. You know, do you, are you a furniture designer? You know, do you, for instance, my friend, this, this pedometer thing that I'm wearing right now, it's sold in Walmart. A guy I went to high school with designed this thing. Happens to be brilliant. He's also two years younger than me. He's a senior designer at the company that he works at, and he basically gets to do to tell other people what to do. I, you know, but if you launch your own design firm, for instance, if you're selling a product, if you're selling a tangible product, great. Do you have a partnership? Do you have an access, or, or at least a plan, to get a meeting with Walmart? Because you need a distribution channel. Okay. This Absolutely. thing that you're selling, it's much easier to sell things than ideas or services. Sure. Things have intrinsic value of thingness. Right. There's Here, a price there's, that's there's, quantifiable. There's, take my thing. Thank you very much. I take payment. Right. Whatever that payment is. Sure. You know, but to sell things, you need a thing distribution channel. And so. that's a why, this is why a lot of people think that the only thing they have in life to offer is their time. And, and they're very far away from reality. And that is a terrible approach to selling. Because if you study and you went to, you you were fortunate enough to get an education and you were taught a career, you're now equipped with a way of thinking. 
So you're beyond much of your time. If you only have your time to sell, you shouldn't even be performing a job because you're, dead. you're not on a machine. A machine, you can count it with time. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not talking about a computer. A computer yeah. has the ability of offering results. People you count with skills. It's not a... Well, people oftentimes, if they're feeling insecure or if they feel like they're stuck at a job, but they don't have... You know, let's say you're working a job. You're given enough to live on, but not enough to really save and make something of it. You don't have a ton of free time, so the kind of free time that you have, you wind up doing other things that mask the feelings that you have, the feelings being that you want to start a business. Sometimes people say, I don't have any skills. I don't know what to do. You are saying, Fernando, did you go to school? Did you learn anything? If you do, then you have skills, you have things that you like, you have passions, and you have the ability to tap into them if you want to, if you're able to. I mean, one of the most successful people I know is a house cleaner. This guy makes bank. Him and his wife started a house cleaning company. Oh, but that's so plebeian. Do you like money? Exactly. That's why I'm saying that. Because when you start a business, if you're worried about, but what if people don't like it? Or what if I don't do a good job? Why if I get in my house dirty? Yeah. I mean, you know, know, we we went to Denmark a few years ago, and there at least. 10 or 15 people, very entrepreneurial, that we've talked to. We were discussing the nature of entrepreneurship because that, that was my research study. It's entrepreneurship and creative industries. So I was comparing Danish and Scandinavian architecture and design firms to their American counterparts. Okay. Um, really fascinating outcomes, actually, because the majority of people that we have spoken with, both in the creative industry and not creative industries, in Denmark, and this is pretty much verbatim, I would shovel shit if the pay was 25 euros an hour. As opposed to what? As opposed to Americans where we feel that we are somehow above. Shoveling shit. Shoveling shit for really good pay. No matter how much it's paid. Correct. Okay. And that is a very distinct cultural difference because, for instance, the first person that told us this was a, uh, an entrepreneur in Copenhagen who, again, has an office cleaning business. So he does not, he no longer cleans the offices himself. He has employees to do these things for him. Mm-hmm. They service schools and hospitals and municipal buildings. He's doing fairly well. He started this business when he came from what sounds like a pretty provincial Danish town. Okay. And he, I met him when we were both studying at the Copenhagen Business School, which is the, you know, the Ivy League for Danish education. Mm-hmm. It is not easy to get into that school. And this guy has managed to sustain a life, work full time, and get himself into a master's degree at essentially the equivalent of Princeton. Okay. With the attitude of, I will shovel shit as long as they pay me a lot of money to do so. I think uh, it's something I have learned in, in this country. Um, my father is a doctor, great doctor. My mom is a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I come from a great country, good family and so forth. The financial exchange didn't allow my father to really help me with anything financially I have achieved in this country. I, I came with a very few couple of dollars in my pocket and I turned into whatever really it was American today. Dream to to well, if you want to turn into an American dream, I don't believe there's such a thing as an American dream. 
I believe there is a country that is the one we live today that gives you opportunities to make of yourself whatever you want. There's easy, it's an easy way to put a roof over your head. There's a, uh, it's safe. Uh, you can find food. You don't have to worry about things that as a child I remember. And today in Venezuela, you cannot even think about going to the store and buying milk. That, that's something you don't find today in the stores in Venezuela. You don't find... The point is, this country has, is giving you, and there are other countries in Europe, so if you happen to be in a country that it's giving you an opportunity to build yourself, to do something and become independent, that's when you need to take advantage of it. Don't start selling your time for pennies to collect excrements when you can charge a little more for your time. Before you know it, since you're willing either... Maybe if you go to your boss tomorrow and you say, I don't want to do this because I don't get paid enough. That's not a very strong argument. <laughs> that, that, no, yeah, but you, you can go, probably, probably if you go to your boss and say, I don't want to do more shoveling because I, I don't get paid enough. He might say, well, I'm sorry, somebody else was going to do it. See, when you're starting to see yourself, we all are just reaching to the American dream. Yes, this is an American dream that we all aim for. It's better life and so on. But when you started to see yourself that I am worth more than my time, you can go to a company and apply if you're going to work in, let's say, any company that you're going to work for and sit in front of somebody who's about to hire you and you're going to hire that company where you're going to work beside the fact that you're getting hired. So it's, a, it's two parties being hired with one goal. You're going to be hiring them to allow you to work there, and they're going to hire you. And you're starting to see, to see yourself more worth it, and eventually well, you're going to be happy, contract. and you're going to be more productive. You're going to be putting your money where it's worth it, and so on. So once again, whether you want to run a business or not, it has to be, you have to be in life, doing things and spending time with people that you want to be around. Otherwise, if everything feels like a chore, where is the enjoyment coming from? But that's the, that's the, you have to be active in your life part. You know? Okay. I mean, for instance, our grandparents, right? Your grandparents grew up in America. Yes. When you talk about the American dream, mm -hmm. okay? The American dream came about for a reason. The American dream, the dream of stability and land ownership and multiple child households and luxury spending goods, that was created by a generation that really had it rough. The Depression era generation. And the one before, yeah. Oh yeah. Because before that, you could die from polio. Like you could just die from influenza. Right. That, that used to happen. You and I don't remember that. No. But the flu vaccine, we keep laughing about, oh, ha ha, vaccinators are not vaccinated. I had pneumonia four times before I was five years old. I would be I, dead. And you know, the truth is that that American dream that was developed by a country that was still developing its economy. That, that was a, essentially a third world country. America. You know, we, we don't want to think about it like that because we're American and we're all fantastic and we're great and we're great because we're American. But, <laughs> yeah, this is what it is. Right, but yeah, you know, but, but, but depression really, era America is right. a third world country any way you look at it. There's Even no if way there are advancing politics right, or whatever, there's it doesn't no matter. way out of that one, you know, and the American dream was hope. The American dream was the, the most basic marketing advertising campaign that you could have because the worst thing that you could possibly have is a an entire population of millions of people without hope. 
you really want a revolution, that is how you get one, when you push people over the edge. So okay. the American dream, it needed to exist because people needed some sort of stability. They needed to be able to band together in times of adversity and strife to be able to achieve comforts and the security that Fernando was talking about earlier. So, okay, if somebody in this country or anywhere in the world is feeling somewhat hopeless, be it financially, even if they have a job, they just feel trapped in it, they don't know how to get out. There are things that they like in life. Yes, we all like things. Right. If you go meet people who like similar things, it's going to increase your happiness, it's going to increase your hopefulness for the future, and it's going to increase your ability as you put heads together to figure out a solution from that situation that you're in. So I mean, it's not guaranteed to, but no, I feel but like it would be a better, you know, a, a better chance to, yes. Where does hope two people who are not born in this country but live here, you guys? As Americans, we're all American, whether we're born here or not, in this case, if we're living here, that's how I, I would quantify yeah. it right at this moment. Where is our American dream? Where is our hope going forward? In 2015, we look outside and we see vestiges of an economic situation and a political climate that maybe doesn't really work anymore. But you can't just start a revolution that doesn't work that way. I would not advocate one. No, no neither would I. Those things get bloody. Right, exactly. So, intelligently, I think, where's our hope? I think intelligently, whichever country you're in, you're equivalent to the American dream. I think it, it differs by generation. I mean, for the 60s, it was Woodstock. I mean, it was Bob Dylan, you know, and for the 70s, it was a completely different thing. It was racial equality, largely. 80s and 90s, you had gender equality to some extent, or the attempt at. And I think for us, it's really largely, at least from my experience, it's being your own boss. Our generation that was basically raised to not believe that we could do anything wrong, that somehow we were privileged, that we, we are special, you know. I mean, I'm sure you felt that growing up in, in American school systems, you know, our generation really got told that we were awesome, repeatedly. I think your, your hope is on knowing that tomorrow is going to be okay. I think that's the basic premise of that's, that. No? Yes, but think about this. Whether you're married to another person, you know that tomorrow is going to be okay. Because that's your person, your partner for life. Okay. Okay? You know, you chose that person when you walk through that door to be your partner for life. And an unmarried business partnership and, is the same thing. Yeah. You chose that person and, as a business partner for a reason. And you're in this country because you chose this country or in the country you are. If that country is offering you the tools to succeed, you're married in a way to that country and you know that tomorrow will be okay. So find a way to whatever you are to make sure that your partner, whether it's your country or another human being or your business, is happy. To ensure that tomorrow you can continue performing as good and better than today. Okay. And then it's where you're going to find the way to become an awesome boss. And when you call yourself, I'm the boss, it's not about you sitting there giving, giving orders or making things happen. It's having a little bit of security and peace in yourself that what you're doing is the best for the tomorrow. That's the dream. When I was defining independence this month for the topic of independence, mm -hmm. and I realized that we want things in life, like running our own business, because we think... I'm going to be the boss, like you just said. 
people are going to have to come to me. That's independent. Being the boss means freedom from want, freedom from fear. I would say freedom of choice. You can These, choose to be and what we're, of want. And what we're just saying at this moment, that is the American dream. Norman Rockwell's Four Freedoms, that is the American dream. You know what the, the rule the boss is? Have the balls to fail because the lower you go in your knees, it will teach you for the next time to stand a little higher. You, you, you can't succeed unless you fail at least once in life. Absolutely. You can't, be, you can't succeed but if you're not willing see, to fail. Don't ever aim for failure. Some people think you're going to learn something out of failure. You don't learn anything out of failure except you went through failure. Now, learn from succeeding is better. So, but how are you going to get the best of learning from succeeding you is find success first. aim for what you think that is right. The only way you can make a mistake, I make mistakes every day. But you trust your instincts. But do I chose, did I chose to make those mistakes? No. I want to make sure that what I'm doing, what I did yesterday, it wasn't a mistake. I, I made that decision yesterday and that decision was done. At, at so time, be honest with yeah. yourself. At the time, it was the best thing At the do. time, you thought it was the best thing. I mean, right. That's the definition of what a mistake is. Right. At hindsight, you realize it wasn't. Eventually, that decision I made, it brought this company to go down. What can I say? However, go back to that day, that moment. Why did Fernando, myself, make the decision? And you'll find out that, that the situation required that. And all you have to do is just, just improve and... Take a different approach or ask your partner. That's why you have other people in the... In right. And that goes back to knowing what you don't know because if you aren't able to have... For instance, you know, if you're a generalist and you don't have a good solid project manager, get one. Okay. If you're... Right. Fill in those blanks. Right. If you like minutia and you, have, and you have trouble allocating, you get someone that knows how to allocate. You get someone who's going to fight with you to allow you to allocate. So I think it's important then for people to realize that it is hard to find someone who has the same level of passion that you do. But if Welcome you haven't found that dream. you haven't found that person, whether it's in business or in life, whatever, just keep keep looking, keep finding out who you are, keep experimenting in your own life to Don't be afraid. Thank you. Don't be afraid. You know, because I mean, tomorrow will come. No, but yeah, you, don't be afraid it's to very, fail to do anything in life. It's a very hard realization when, let's say, you're depressed. Let's say you feel trapped. Let's say that you have anxiety about life, and you're sitting there and you're really feeling anxious. Can I stop you for one second, real quick? Yes. I just want to say that is anybody who happens to be listening who's feeling that way, we all have felt that way. And yeah, we'll all feel that way again at some point. It's normal. It's that's the part point. Of life. That's, life is not all roses. But the realization then is I'm depressed now and I'm feeling anxious now and I'm feeling trapped now. But tomorrow's still going to come. And I'm still going to have to deal with tomorrow. Find the doors. My, so, my, my suggestion is find the doors. Find so the doors to walk through. You have to pick yourself up off the floor. And because no one else is going to do it for you. Because tomorrow's still going to come. You're still going no. to be on the floor. Many, many other so friends really, how many, you know, how, can do it for you. How much time do you have to devote to... Not being happy. To not being happy. To feeling useless in your own life. You have no time to devote to it. No, you don't. Because tomorrow's still going to come. Have a clear mind. No matter what you do, every day get up. And whatever is that door to open up a clear mind... That is going to make yourself feel the way you used to feel when you were young, 
that you 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 were aiming for something, be yourself. Absolutely. And and I think the if something in your environment is making you that unhappy, that environment needs to change. You don't need to change. The environment needs to change because if you are unfulfilled, you're in the wrong environment. It's it's that simple. Right. You know, and you need to as a person who may or may not want to start a business, as a person who just wants to be fulfilled in their job, which is, for me, that was starting business. For other people, it's not. But if you were unhappy in a routine, the routine needs to change. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, saying, oh, to hell with it, I'm going to go launch a company. That can mean, oh, to hell with it, I'm going to take that job elsewhere. Or to hell with it, I'm going to move somewhere to take that job. There's no reason to sit on the floor moping. Because tomorrow is going to come and you'll still be on that floor. And you're still going to be on the floor. And that's the terrifying realization is sooner or later, like, I can cry and I can be sad and I can watch reruns for a month. But in a month or now, I still have to get on the floor. So the the realization is you're still going to have to do it. You know what I see a big difference, for example, uh, when, when we do apartment stations. You walk into an apartment and it's completely empty. Your mind is not if there. You're lucky. Hold on. You went to see an apartment whether you rent it or buying it and the apartment is completely empty. Your mind is not there. It's not being focused. You can imagine the furniture being there. You can imagine the future being there. All the things you can bring from your old house and fill it up again. But home staging, when you come to a house and it has a little bit of organization and there's flowers, fresh flowers, things that make you happy. You know, think about a piece of cake, if you eat cake, think about... Or if the house smells like bread. Uh, cooking bread. Right, think things about that make you feel at home. You know what I do to make my day better? I cook. God bless you, yes you do. And I can spend four hours making one meal that I will eat in 10 minutes, or maybe I won't even eat it. I'll put maybe it in the fridge. It. Ah, oh, I lost it. I will eat it. Find your doors. I cannot say it anymore. Something that takes you out of the everyday, that makes you happy. Let the stress go right there. And, and then you can focus on what's important. And what's important, keep your business in the right direction. And by business, you don't just mean business. You mean your life. Keep well, your, your life, life in the right your direction. Life is your business now. I've been saying all the time, my business is my... Marriage? Right, because your My job hobby. is your hobby. Thank you. Because you can go get another job. I You're have, not going to get another one, though. I have, I, so many, I have so many hobbies. Uh, the, my, my father asked his uh, uncle. He was, uh, I think it was 102. How did you manage to be 102 and still go snorkeling with piranhas in the Orinoco River in Venezuela? And he goes, I have plenty of hobbies. Swimming with piranhas is one of them. I mean, listen, when you're 102, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to go out at 102 eaten by piranhas. That is your eulogy. But what you're saying is don't stop growing. Don't stop being yourself. Don't stop discovering what you like and who you are. And continue to walk through those doors that feel right for you. You know, we spoke earlier today off air. It's about instincts. People trust their instincts, I believe. That's the path to happiness. Your instincts are almost... If you're clear-headed, because you're saying be as clear as you can. Be clear-headed. Be clear-headed. Don't let bullshit cloud your brain. Be clear-headed. Know who you are. Because when you're clear-headed, you're going to know who you are. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror, too. Because whether you want to start a business or not, 
you got to know who you are because you don't even know, you, you know, you got to know, is that, am I the person who wants to run a business? Well, who am I? What do I want? Well, James, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that it's okay to be unhappy because if you're unhappy, that is largely a catalyst for change. If you're unhappy, that means that you recognize the need for a change. Then you just gotta, so and then you, you should not mask that unhappiness with stuff. No, no, no. Because no. that's your that's your that's your that's your catalyst. That is the, the foremost thing that you have. It's about having fun every day. I agree with that. And so much of life, I think, we bog down with the minutia of bills, of finances, of of all this stuff. And I truly do believe that if we're being who we are, everything will sort itself out. You got to be patient. It's not necessarily going to sort itself out this second. But at least you're getting on that path because you know who you are and you're willing to find out. If you have bills, find a way that you can make your minimum payments and at least stay afloat. Don't spend that extra $5, that extra $10 in something else. Save it, put it together, make sure you pay your bare necessities and then slowly you'll catch up. There's going to be plenty of time to catch up. All you need is something called mature. Analyze that you have, this is your responsibility now. It's not your parents, it's not your friend, it's not your wife. It is your responsibility and, to take care of these things. And by these things also, what you're also saying on a larger scale is, your life is your responsibility. Take ownership of it. Find happiness, go get it. Somebody else took their time to make this country great for you to go and do it. So why won't you do it? What's stopping you to get up tomorrow morning and say, I can be a better person. You know why I can be a better person? Because I want to. No other reason. How do you do that? Find your doors. I would say a thousand times. That's it. How far down the road with this business are you currently looking? Three years right now. Now, that you is... said, Fernando, hmm. your business is your marriage. Your hobby is your job, essentially, what brings you income. Right. Your true business being your marriage, that's there forever. Not to make any assumptions, you continually work at it. You believe that other things will take care of themselves. Thank you. Because you trust yourself enough. You might have an idea, this coming Friday, you'll be doing something. When Friday comes, it'll be here and you'll deal with it accordingly. You can change your hobbies, but you don't change your business. Your business is yourself. Thank you. Absolutely. Do you guys have anything that you want to plug? Yellowtrace.com Spell that for me, please. Y-E-L-L-O-T-R-A-C-E Dot com. And if somebody listening to this is looking to hire you, I'm assuming that on yellowtrace.com you have a listing of the services that you that guys offer. That is correct. That is correct. We have a handy dandy contact page uh, designed by another Pratt graduate, Anne Marie Coward, okay. my uh, former roommate. Sure. Happens to be fantastic. And they can contact us through that contact page or yellowtrace at gmail.com. Okay. So that would no be. No W. Right. So Y E L L O. T-R-A-C-E at gmail.com. That is correct. I want to thank you guys. This has been a, an absolutely fantastic interview uh, tonight. Let's have another one soon. We'll talk yes, we are definitely going to. I'm so excited. I can share you. a little bit of how I like to fix things. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, I love to fix everything. Thank you, guys. When I sat down to edit this podcast a couple of days ago, it was after work. I got home about 7 o'clock at night, and I said to myself, okay, I'll edit till about 8, I'll take a break, tomorrow I'll do the same thing. Suddenly, it was 8.15, it was 8.30, it was 8.45, I 
I edited it until 9 o'clock and basically finished editing it the other night because the conversation was so powerful to me that I just kept going. I wanted to keep editing this, even though I was part of the conversation just a few days earlier to be back again and be a part of it one more time sucked me in and I had to keep listening. I hope that you guys had that reaction as well. And I hope that whatever you're feeling about the Wall Breakers podcast or the Wall Breakers in general, that you're willing to let me know. I'm so happy to be bringing in important guests like Fernando and Olga who have such great perspective and are so intelligent and have great heads on their shoulders to help give advice because I want you to know that I give a damn and I want you to tell me whether you give a damn or not or what this entire community would need to be to make you give a damn. I know that we all have routines, we all have lives that we have to go through and I'm curious what I can do to break into your life. As long as I'm being myself and I'm listening to what you have to say, I think this could work wonders. You'll notice in the coming weeks that I'm going to be pushing interviews as hard as I can because there are so many great people in this world that have such good advice that they can give to all of us and they are a part of this wall breakers community because honestly what is the definition of a wall breaker? It is somebody who's willing to be a prospector. It is somebody who is not willing to just take no for an answer or it's also someone who realizes that life is meant to be worth living and the more human connections we can make with each other the more the insecure walls that we can sometimes grow up with can be broken away because once you start chipping away at those brick walls around you what's revealed is the true you and it's like Michelangelo's David finished the real you is proud is strong is self-aware is willing to take risks We've all struggled with these things. Even if you're in a great place now, and God bless you if you are, I'd like to know how you got there. I'm in a good place myself. But I just want people to know if you happen to be struggling, don't sweat it. Just keep moving forward. Keep finding ways to be happy, much like Fernando and Olga were saying. Because you got this. You are born with everything that you need. Everything that you can use to be happy is already built inside of you. If you have any kind of education, if you've lived any kind of life, you have likes, you have interests, you have passions, you have desires. The more we trust our instincts, the better off we'll be in the end, and the more we can be self-aware. One of my biggest fears about my own decisions in life, and something I try very hard to make sure I don't do, and it happens from time to time anyway, try to make sure that I make no decisions out of desperation. Because any kind of desperate decision is never a good decision. But if we're clear-headed, if we know who we're trying to be, then all our decisions are made with a conscience that is true and a voice that is truly ours. I want to thank you guys for continuing to tune in to Breaking Walls. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate us, review us both on soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers and on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The Wall Breakers. It's important to me to help get this message out to the world. I like to think that we're trying to do something positive, and if we weren't, I like to think that you would tell me as well, or you wouldn't listen. But the advice and the support that I have verbally received over the last year since I started to create these podcasts and release them has been phenomenal. And I want to thank you guys once again. And I'd also like to let you know that next week starts August, and for August... I am going to premiere a podcast on August 1st with a Brooklyn band that is making waves on the indie scene and has been doing so for quite some time. 
They're two talented individuals who I have felt quite privileged to get to know over the last few years, and I'm very excited to bring this interview to you. The conversation will be about making it as an indie artist, about what it's like to be in a band in New York City, what it's like to have a day job and a passion on the side, and ways that you can help monetize your side projects as well. So be on the lookout. This podcast drops August 1st. That'll be episode number 20. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in to episode number 19. As always, my name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls. And until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.